Hey everybody, it's Ben. Before I get into the conversation that I had with Jordan Stanfield from Housing Opportunities, I wanted to read through some scriptures. I reference in our conversation a sheet of scriptures that talk about our our mandate, our call as Christians to take care of those who are less fortunate than us and to live equitably and to love justice and mercy. I wanted to read a few of those passages because uh, we didn't really get a chance to dive too much into the theology of what we were talking about today. Um, but I wanted to, on the front end, just read a few of the verses that stood out about our call to take care of those who are less fortunate than us. And I'm going to read through a few Proverbs to start out. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever oppresses a man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. We also see in Ezekiel, this in chapter 16, verse 49, that behold, this was the guilt of the sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. And then in Acts 20, it says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then, of course, we have the story that Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 25, talking about caring for those in need. He says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So there are just a few of many passages about our call, our command to take care of our brothers and sisters, and to live equitably. So I hope that these passages give you something to meditate on and something to think about as we go into this conversation. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jordan as it was very enlightening for me to hear all that Housing Opportunities is doing and all that we can do as the church to make sure that we are advocating for those who are experiencing homelessness or who are at risk of homelessness and how we can advocate for for justice and mercy. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the Real Life Roundtable podcast, conversations about culture, Christianity, church, and community, and where all those intersect as we explore real life with one another. The Real Life Roundtable is a production of Real Life Community Church in Portage, Indiana. For more information, follow us at RLCC Life on Facebook or visit reallifecc.org. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Ben here. Uh, Pastor Rich is out. He's um, got COVID, unfortunately, so he's still in quarantine. So we're safe here, though, in the building. And I am here with a special guest, Jordan Stanfill. Um, that's how you pronounce your last name, right? You got it. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Um, we're going to talk today about 
the homelessness crisis. Um, and we couldn't found, couldn't have found a better person to talk about this than Jordan. Uh, but I first wanted to talk about how I had first got introduced to housing opportunities. So I'm still kind of the new person on the territory here uh, in Northwest Indiana. And part of my calling that I feel like I have in my life that God has given me in my life is to connect the church with organizations that are in the community. So not necessarily only doing things through the church, but finding organizations that are they have kingdom values and then making sure that we as the church partner with them, that we support them, not only with our finances, but also do whatever we can to volunteer and do what we can to advocate for people. So I'm, I'm big. I'm a big believer in building a bridge between the church and the community. So we have every year we do a Christmas offering here at Real Life. And that Christmas offering gets split between a few organizations that we believe fit our mission, fit our vision. And housing opportunities ended up being one of those organizations. So I'm like, all right, what is this all about? So I did some digging on the website and I agreed that it was a great opportunity. It was a great organization. And we ended up partnering with you guys for that process with the Christmas offering and all that. And then there was a board position available. (laughs) And somehow... Within six months of moving here, I ended up on your board, which yeah. is interesting. And whether or not they regret that decision, I don't know. <laughs> I guess time will tell when when my time is up for re-election or however that works. Um, but so then I was introduced to Jordan at Housing Opportunities, and they are the perfect organization, and he is the perfect guy to speak to this issue. So why don't you first share about your journey with Housing Opportunities and how you got into this? Sure. Yeah. Um my journey is probably a little bit weird, I think, too. And, you know, I had uh, always known that I wanted to work in service of some sort or being, you know, useful to the community. And, and I just didn't know a way to do that. So I considered, you know, doing Peace Corps, other things like that. And uh, nothing really seemed to stick with what I wanted to do. So I decided to go to grad school, of course. Okay. Uh, and I hated it. So I, I'm a VU grad, uh, Valparaiso University grad, and uh, went to grad school in Chicago at DePaul. And I just, did not like it when I was there. Okay. What did you go so, to Velpo for? Uh, I majored in history. Okay. Um, so I had a history degree coming out in 2009, which was not a great year to, <laughs> to, to find any sort of job, especially with a history degree. Um, and so I went to DePaul to get my master's in public administration. Um, and I was, you know, sitting there and I realized I was going to, you know, have a degree, be further in debt and still not have any real life job experience, like doing what I wanted to do. Um, so I started doing research and found AmeriCorps, uh, which uh, for those okay. of you who don't know, is like a, it's like the Peace Corps, but domestically. So in the United States. So you um, work at you know nonprofits or other places doing service work and you get paid a very little bit of money to do it. Um, but you learn skill and connections and do all that. So they happen to have an AmeriCorps openings in uh, Valparaiso. And my now wife at the time was still finishing up her last year of grad school at, at VU. Um, and so I applied and I got accepted into it and we did these, uh, there's a room of like 30 nonprofits and you'd go around kind of like speed dating, oh, wow. um, and speed interviewing, I guess. And you'd, you'd talk to these different groups and, and then they would rank kind of who they liked best. And then you would do the same and then you kind of match up and, and that's where your placement would be. And so I actually matched up with housing opportunities and I, I, they were my first preference and I was theirs, I guess. Um, and so I uh, was brought on board to run our food pantry at that time, which at that time was a very big operation. It was open to the entire uh, community. So anyone can come a couple of days a week to get food. And so I ran the food pantry and, and did all of that. 
And that was still at the location in Calumet, right? Yeah, it was in our okay. basement level. Um, so we'd serve like a few hundred uh, families a week um, wow. doing that. Um, and it was just a massive operation. We've since scaled it back because it was, uh, you know, it wasn't our kind of core mission of what we do. Um, but I did that for my entire service year, which was like 11 months. Uh, and then uh, Caroline Shook, our CEO at the time, she offered me a position um, to stay on board at um, Housing Opportunities as a, as a full-time staff member uh, in our foreclosure prevention department. Um, and so that was helping people who are facing foreclosure um, to avoid that process. Um, wow. So that was in 2011. And then 2012, I got hired on and... Um, and that was it. So when did you move to the level that you're at now? Um, so I had a couple different changes. So I, I became our like operations person uh, after a couple of years of doing a foreclosure prevention. And then I became a CEO when Caroline retired in uh, October of 2017. So wow, five, it's five been five years. Yeah, yeah five yeah. years. And you've Goes survived fast. a pandemic through all that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so we'll get into um, talking about homelessness in a little bit here. But first, just tell us a little bit about what Housing Opportunities does now and kind of what the mission and the vision is of what Housing Opportunities is. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we're a community sustained nonprofit. So that means we, you know, uh, kind of live and dive by being ingrained in the community and have community support. And our, our mission is to prevent and resolve homelessness in Porter and LaPorte counties. Uh, and for us, that's done through working with people who are experiencing homelessness and then providing affordable housing for those who need that as well. Um, so we're kind of attacking the homelessness and housing issues from both sides. Okay. Um, and so we do that in a variety of ways. So we um, have direct street outreach. So we actually go out to where people are sleeping in their cars or in tents in the community. And we do that across Porter County um, to help connect those who are, who are sleeping outside in those conditions, get into shelter or housing or other options that um, are not outside. We have our resource center, which is at our main office location at 2001 Calumet and Valpo. Um, and we have our shelter there as well for families. So we can uh, anywhere from 10 to 13 uh, families who are experiencing homelessness in Porter County can stay with us. Uh, typical stays like four months and they can uh, get the services they need to get into uh, more stable long term housing, either with us or just on their own in the community. Uh, and then the other side is the affordable housing side. So we yeah. offer affordable rental housing for people with disabilities uh, and those who are extremely low income. Uh, we do it in four cities, so Portage, Valpo, Michigan City, and Laporte. Uh, and as of a couple weeks from today, we'll have a total of 218 uh, rentals across those four cities. Now, for the affordable housing side, because that's part of your model that talks about prevention mm -hmm. and like diversion is what you guys say, I think, yep. right? So has that always been a part of Housing Opportunities model or is that something that's fairly new? Because I know that you're aggressively pursuing that now. Yeah. Has that always been the case? So it has been, we kind of gone through different phases where, you know, we started out in, in 2000 and our first um, kind of project that Housing Opportunities did, which was before my time, was uh, was eight rental units. It was transitional housing. Okay. Um, so it was kind of a mixture of the homeless side and, and the rental side. Um, and then, it, you know, we quickly grew from there. I think we added over the next five or six years, added like 50 apartments or something like that of various kind of uses. And it wasn't actually until 2011 that we did like direct homeless work. So we, okay. we moved into our current space and took over a, a shelter that uh, was struggling to to stay open. Uh, and so we took on that role in 2011. 
um, at our current location to provide that emergency shelter service. So that was the first time we actually did that. So I guess it's kind of been split half and half of what we do. Okay. Um, and so we've expanded. We added street outreach, you know, in the past six years and stuff like that, too, to help further that kind of outreach to those who, who need it most. Um, and then, again, really putting that focus on uh, on adding housing that's affordable to people that we work with, um, because that's the single best way that we can end homelessness is by providing housing. Right. And the, th- the sustainable housing is the biggest mm-hmm. thing because your affordable housing units, it's not like they're under some kind of a time limit like if they need to, they can stay in those housing units for life, correct? Yep. Um, and so, you know, I always like to say that it's just like any other apartment that you'd find in the community. So it's no different, except we serve people at extremely low income levels. Right. Um, so that's really the only caveat that's different than any other rental. So they have a lease. We, you know, their initial lease is 12 months. Um, so it's just like any other lease. They have all the response rights and responsibilities of a leaseholder, just like you or I would if we lived in an right. apartment or anything like that. Um, and they pay a set amount of rent. Um, so we have right. some units that are income based, and that's for people with disabilities. Um, but most of our rentals are, you know, it, our right now our one bedrooms are five hundred dollars a month, and that's a flat rate across the board. Um, Which is right now a yeah. third of what you're going to pay <laughs> anywhere. I mean, yeah. it just keeps getting higher and higher. I mean, every yep. time we look at any of the apps or anything, it's just oh, rent went up another hundred dollars. Rent yeah. went up another dollars. Yep. That's crazy. And then in our in our American culture sustained housing is so important for Mm -hmm. any other part of life. So the fact that it's not a shelter, and I think that's, that's that weird balance that I always have when it comes to the church, because the church, yeah, can house people temporarily when it's a shelter situation, but since they don't have the ability to like offer leases or have some kind of a proof of sustained living, it's hard for them to then find jobs. It's hard for them to advance their life and kind of climb their way out of that situation. Whereas housing opportunities, if they have a lease with you, that is certified as their living, that's their residence. Having a residence is so important when it comes to finding jobs and all these other things that we don't really think about unless we've experienced that. Like you need to have a home address for so many other things. Yeah, it's the foundation of your life. <clears throat> often something that we overlook because so many people take it for granted but if you know if you think about it and like do the mental exercise like if i just no longer owned my house like where would i live like could i live with my father-in-law probably but like what how would that you know change my life and impact what i right. what we do and and how we work and and again what happens when he doesn't want us there anymore and stuff too and like so those are all the things that happen and you know and that's with having family supports and income and resources and you know as you kind of take away and chisel away what people have uh, options for then it just gets worse and worse and that's how people end up in their cars and right. so without that foundation things start to unravel really quickly and um, even people who are couch surfing like that's just not a sustainable way to to live and to you know be to have your kids be in, enrolled in schools and be able to function in that way. It's just not right. the ideal situation where people thrive. Right. Right. Now, do you have partnerships with other community services when it comes to if one of your clients has a mental health issue mm-hmm. or if they have social work issues? How does that work? Yeah, for sure. And that and that's really, you know, we can't do what we do without the partnerships that we have in the community, whether that's primary health care, whether, you know, through North Shore and Portage or HealthLink and Valpo to get people connected to um, just going to the doctor and getting the meds they need and stuff like that, too, and having that kind of base for their their uh, health care. Um, Porter Stark uh, for mental health needs and other groups that do therapy and stuff like that, too. 
Um, and then all the other host of partners who provide food or childcare or things like that. that so you help walk need. them through mm-hmm. all of that when they come. So if, yep. if I'm somebody that's sleeping in my car and I walk into housing opportunities, what does that process look like? Yes, yeah, so right away you're going to get, you know, go into our resource center. Um, and so that really depending on what you need and kind of what you're looking for, then we, we hopefully have that option there or connect you quickly to someone who does. So you're going to sit down with one of our staff. Usually that takes a little bit to kind of build that trust and relationship, but you can sit down with one of our staff that are going to do kind of a housing assessment on you and say, Hey, you know, do you want to be in an apartment? Do you want to, are you looking to go with family and friends who are somewhere nearby? Mm -hmm. What's your goal here of, so you don't have to keep living in your car or in your tent and stuff like that too. And then kind of assess where they're at and kind of where those barriers are and then start to work on those barriers. Um, And so if it's that, you know, you know, they're struggling with their mental health needs. So they keep getting kicked out of apartments or living with family or friends that we're going to help connect them to those resources so they can, you know, maybe their solution is staying with their family, but um, they need to get that mental health stuff in check um, to, in order to do that. Um, Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, Hey, I can stay with my aunt and that's great for now. I I have a plan that's, that's coming up, but like I, you know, she can't afford to pay for my groceries. And so we can help bridge that gap a little bit too. And, um, so people don't have to come into the shelter or end up on the street or something like that too. Okay. So it's really just awesome. doing that kind of full range. Um, and, but a lot of it's trust building at that level. So, you know, they may come in and just want to take a shower, uh, or grab a bite to eat and then they'll leave and come back the next day or next week and then start building that relationship with our staff, which is what it's all about. Okay. Wow. Very cool. So <laughs> when it comes to people that have been your clients and have gone in and out. Cause I, so I'll tell the scenario that I know personally. So there was a couple that ended up staying here at the church for a week. And then they had worked with family Promise, which is another organization to kind of get back on their feet. And the story that they shared, it was really hard to like absorb and process because it was really a hundred percent out of their control from what they were saying. Essentially they were renting a place and then Somebody had purchased the property that they were renting from, decided they wanted to increase all the rent in all of the areas. Well, then you got to figure out a way to evict everybody. So then he figured out a way to evict everybody. Now they have this eviction on their record. They've been living there long enough to where all the rent around them had gone up. So now they can't afford to find a place that they can afford to live in. And essentially, if one of these organizations like Housing Opportunities or Family Promise doesn't intervene, they end up in their car still working. So she was, she had a full-time job. So it wasn't like she was not trying to work. It wasn't like they weren't trying to pay their bills. It was just basically life circumstances put them where they were, but it's so easy if they didn't get the care that they needed. And if somebody didn't intervene, they'll immediately get like the stigma of, well, they must be crazy or they must be lazy or whatever the, whatever the excuse might be. These are real people that are only, I mean, you'd be surprised how many of us are only one emergency away from being in their situation. So can you talk a little bit about how you and your staff work so hard to try to end that stigma and try Mm -hmm. to talk about these people as you or I, I mean, there are neighbors that are just going through really difficult times. Yeah. It's, it means all about education, I think, and, and giving people the information that to help uh, combat people's assumptions. Right. I think, even, you know, before I started working at Housing Opportunities and, and learning about what we do and, and the people we serve, I think I had the same assumptions, right? Like I've been in Chicago a lot and I'd see people who were homeless on the street and, yeah. you know, with signs for that too. And, and that's kind of the, I think the mental picture most people have that they associate with homelessness. And that's really not the, 
what it really looks like for the most amount of people. Right. That certainly is like the, you know, that those people are probably homeless for a really long time. They probably have chronic health issues and mental health issues that are kind of uh, helping them stay in that in that circumstance. But most people, they're working. Uh, as as you mentioned of that example of that couple, like they're working, they're employed, they've been employed, they've been in housing a lot. They they may or may not have mental health issues or disabilities, um, but they just had something come up. A lot of times it's out of their control or things that just kind of spiral on top of it. And we see that a lot, whether it's, you know, people, especially right now over the last couple of years, it's been a ton of people selling buildings and then getting priced out of where they've lived for a long time. Yeah, uh, Really, uh, probably the most common thing is, is chronic health issues and, and medical bills that pile up. And so then they, you know, they have to pay medical bills or they're getting the wages garnished because of that. So then they start not being able to pay their rent and all that sort of stuff. And, and things kind of come crumbling around or, or family that they're staying with or, or something like that, they pass away. And so now they don't have a place to stay anymore. So it's all these things that kind of pile up. And the best way to combat that is to give people information of uh, just like the example you gave of, you know, hey, these, these people are working like they they work right. in our community. They work in right here in Portage. They work and they in were Belfo paying their rent as far as yeah. we know. Right. Like they were up on their bills. Yeah. And then you have these circumstances that, you know, I think most people will say like, oh, you should just get a lawyer or something like that. And they'll, they'll help you figure it out. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. well, like you probably could do that, but you have to have a lot of money to do that. Like right. they're not free. Right. And, and most people don't know how to navigate that system. And so, you know, things that I think we see on TV a lot of like, oh, you can just get a lawyer. They'll work out that that problem right. for you. And, and that's not the reality for most people. Right. Um, I mean, even if you are a bleeding heart attorney, <laughs> you still have to pay your bills, too. So sure. It's not like there is. You have to know who to go to. Right. And, you know, Indiana is not the most uh, tenant friendly environment as well. And so there's not a lot of things that people can do to to fight back against what they you know, whether it's real or not unjust landlord behavior. Um, and so there, you know, there are things that, that and people end up in these situations and, um, it's not because they're lazy or because they don't want to work or because they can't work even, or they want to take advantage of government benefits. Um, it's because, you know, circumstances happened and usually it's multiple things and, and things kind of got out of control for them and they're, but they're trying to make it right. So right. they just don't know where to go. And when they do, they end up in the right place with it's us or family promise or the other groups that work in this field. And, and then usually they can get it worked out. Um, and we have, you know, countless examples of that. So we try and give real life examples of folks, whether it's people with um, mental health issues, substance use issues, or just folks who, you know, had a rough time and, and they need help get back on their feet. Give those real life examples, giving, you know, information of, you know, we have uh, 38 apartments in Portage right now, and uh, they're all income-based right now for the most part. Um, okay. And so it's for people with disabilities. Um, and so uh, generally when people come to us, they have little or no income, and then they kind of grow that income over time. And so right now, of those 38 apartments, we have two people who don't pay any rent because they don't have any income right now. And they're brand new. They just came to us in the last six months. Every other person is paying rent. So they have an income, whether that's disability or Social Security retirement, we have some of those folks, uh, or they're working in the community. And so, you know, that it's not that kind of message of like, oh, it's people just getting free rent and doing that. It is It is people working who want to pay rent. Right. Um, and, you know, 90% of our clients pay rent on time every single month. Um, and so it's not even that, you know, they just get in there and don't pay rent and we don't care about it. Like, we also are running a business and doing that too. And so... Um, you know, people, if you give them opportunity to have housing they can actually afford, which is really the key, uh, they're going to pay their rent and they're going to try and make it work because they don't want to be homeless again or, right. or ever. 
Um, but the key is making it really affordable. Um, and, you know, right now, if someone's making, you know, even $24,000 a year, $30,000 a year, and they're paying $1,200 a month for an apartment, that's not affordable for them. They're paying, you know, more than 50% of their income, monthly income is rent. Uh, and so that's, that's where those crises start to happen, right? Their car breaks down. Now they can't pay both their rent and their car repair. And so what do they do? Uh, and those things start to spiral out of control for them. Okay. So with the rise of aspiring property owners, I guess is the right <laughs> sure. way to put it. <laughs> does that make, does that make it more difficult for you guys? Because yeah. I mean, when the market rises and if it's a seller's market that, that hurts organizations that are trying to keep rent mm-hmm. at an affordable level, because that's not exactly the goal for most people that are trying to buy up all these properties. It's yeah. flip the house and rent it for as high of a cost as you can make it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the issue, right? I think it's one of the issues, right? It's that, uh, you can't, necessarily blame landlords because people pay them rent at that right cost. everybody so, wants to be the monopoly man yeah right and so they're you know they're getting people are paying them and a lot of people can afford to pay that much um it's really a supply issue is it we don't have enough if we had enough housing for everyone or or you know a lot more housing then we wouldn't have where rents just keep going up um you know i've been with housing opportunities since 2012 rents have not gone down at that time right, right? and so at some point there has to be a leveling off or a, or even rents to come down. Um, just like every other market, right? Like things don't just go on forever. That's how it feels like in the rental market is things are, um, always going up and never going down. And then you compare that to the way rate wages are right. Like we're right. Like people's wages are not matching their increase in their expenses. And that's just rent. It doesn't count utilities where, you know, I think I just saw in the paper that, Nevisco has a 16% rate hike they're proposing for next year or something like that. Like those are real costs. I didn't know about that. Thank you for that. There you go. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So all those things start to stack up and especially, you know, rent's just one example because it's so extreme and because everyone's affected by it, whether it's, you know, a mortgage or rent. You can cut back on your heat. You can't cut back on your your apartment. (laughs) Yep. And if you do, then you're, you're, you know, living in in the slumlord's place or in a place that's Did you hear about that one... It was earlier this year in Hobart. Yeah, I mean, sure. stuff like that happens mm-hmm. where people had nowhere else to go, so they live in this building that's literally inhabitable. Yeah, but then again, once it was found out that it was inhabitable, all those people had to find a place to go. Yeah, and you know that's a great example. We actually had the same situation happen in Valpo. Uh, this is pre-COVID, so sometime in that time, um, where the the building got condemned by the health department because it was infested with cockroaches and bed bugs. And it was five units, I think. Um, and the people didn't want to leave, even though the building was just in the worst condition that I, I could can imagine um, because they had nowhere else to go. Um, and so, you know, we partnered with United Way and some other people to get him temporary housing and hotels and then get him into some rapid rehousing programs to get him uh, into community-based housing. And that took forever. And then, it, you know, it was covered by the community, right? So it was by nonprofits doing it. And the landlord didn't have to do anything for that. Like, there, So there's no, there's very there rarely any yeah. repercussions for something like that. So I, th- I think right now in, in the Hobart situation, which was also in the paper recently, uh, I think the, the tenants are now like banded together and are suing the landlord for like damages and stuff like that too. But, but there's know, no regulation that does it for them. Nope. So, I mean, he hasn't, he doesn't have to pay for their hotel stays, right. Or cover their housing costs or anything like that. So there's just very little, there are almost no protections for, for renters wow. in Indiana um, for how those things happen. 
So even if you don't have, like, let's say, you know, your unit does not have heat in it. The landlord turned off the nips go in the middle of winter. You have no way to make it happen. You can report it to the city or whatever, and they'll come and make them turn it back on. But you still have to pay rent. If you don't pay rent, you can still get evicted, uh, even though you don't have the basic, you know, ways to yeah. survive in the unit. And you can't um, put an asterisk on your eviction and say, well, it was no, because yeah. my landlord, there was bed bugs. It's, a, it's just an eviction. Nope. Yep. And yeah, and it will go through. They'll win every time. So if you don't pay your rent, no matter what the reason is, 99% of the time you're going to get evicted. Um, wow. doesn't matter. So where do you get your funding? How does that work? Because obviously if you're buying, well, now you're, your guys are building, yes. which is exciting. And yeah. is that first, first question, I guess, is, is that because of the market being the way it is that it, you're actually finding it to be more cost effective just to build? Okay. Buildings going up a lot right now. Uh, it's leveled off a little bit um, over over the past year, but all those you know those costs are still going up. But uh, it really just depends on what we have available to us. So um, we most of our work historically and even recently has been in like purchasing existing housing, rehabbing it to uh, our standards, and then making it affordable for people. Um, and so it, you know pr- most of the time it wasn't in the affordable rental range before that. So the rents usually come down from what the previous landlord was charging. Um, and then when we have the opportunity, usually it's because we have land that we can build on. Um, then we'll look to, to build stuff as well. Okay. Um, but in my time, we've only done two new construction projects, uh, one in Valpo in 2018, and then our current uh, Portage project um, as well. So um, it just, it takes a lot longer to build new and, there's a lot more work like in terms of, you know, architecture and, and right, design engineering right. stuff too. Um, and Permitting so it, and all of that. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, versus, you know, buying an existing building, you don't have to worry about zoning and stuff like that. It's all, it's all already there and in place. You can just make the building look nicer if needed and put a bunch of repairs in there and then um, start renting it out right away. So if everything goes through with Prominence Commons, the mm-hmm. next phase, how many units are going to be in Portage added? Uh, yeah, so phase two is 36, um, a 36 unit building. Okay. Um, so we'll add 36 more to our existing uh, 50. Are they all one bedroom? They are uh, a mixture of uh, studios, ones and twos at that site. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Great. So then I, I totally sidetracked myself yeah. there. I was talking about funding. So how yes. do you, so obviously there's not a big, uh, big incentive of profit with what you're doing. <laughs> so how do you right. convince people and who are you convincing to be able to fund? On the mission. Yeah. So we traditionally we've been about 50% uh, like state and federally funded. Um, So, so funding from uh, Indiana housing and community development authority, which is essentially the state. And then from HUD that funds both uh, the funds, like some of our services, then also funds our, a lot of our big building projects or rehab projects. Uh, And then the other 25% uh, is in from rents that we charge our tenants. Um, So it's kind of self-funded in that way. And then the other 25 is a mixture of uh, fundraising. So from from the community and then like private, like foundations, United Way, stuff like that. Okay. Um, so pretty good mixture there. And it, so we've, we've creeped up a bit in during COVID um, stuff. So we're, I think we uh, are about like 75% state and totally funded right now. Um, but most of that's because of a huge influx of like COVID dollars to right. help kind of mitigate some of those circumstances. So I think that will come back down to... To closer to what it's historically been, but there, so there still is a pretty big percentage of your budget then that 
is affected by individual donors, like mm-hmm. church members and people in the community. So there's still, yep, there is value in in donating, and that's just through your website, right? Or how does that work? Yep, you can always go to our website, uh, hoi.help, and and donate through there. You can contact us directly. So Lisa Franco is our director of development. She's great. Um, so if you just want to learn more or come in for a tour, we'll do that. Um, or she can help you donate too if you want to go that route as Great. well. Great. Yeah. And Lisa's going to be at our church actually mm-hmm. um, the week after this post. So she'll yes. be here at the beginning of November. So we're excited to have her. Um, so besides finances, what are some practical ways people in this community, people in our church can be involved at housing opportunities specifically? Mm-hmm. Then we'll kind of go broader. Yeah. I think, you know, you all here at Real Life have done a great job of. Uh, being hands-on in your kind of volunteer work so that there's a great opportunity for that. Um, so whether it's been through some cleanup stuff we have at properties and and being able to help out with that, or, um, you know, I think uh, we haven't talked about it directly, but I think you and Lisa have about uh, helping out the new Evergreen site and, and managing our garden space yeah. there with tenants. So I think it's a great way to connect with our residents. Um, so things like that, I think tangible things, um, you know, I, I'm not a fan of having volunteers to have volunteers and do that, but having really tangible things you can do and connect you with, you know, our housing and the people who live there, if we can, I think those are great things to do. So as we have those opportunities, we'll reach out and do that. Sometimes we post on social media, other things, um, but doing that and helping us meet uh, specific needs. So sometimes, sometimes we have a lot of requests, whether, you know, specific uh, child needs that we have or something like that. So we'll kind of put a call out there. So if you had those those partners or relationships to direct them our way to do that. Um, so that, I think that's really hands-on kind of the volunteer space that yeah. I think is most effective. Uh, and then in the advocacy piece, I think, um, which I think is both, both broader and specific to us. Um, but, you know, we can't do the work we do if people don't believe what we do is important. Um, okay. And so, you know, Affordable housing is the single best way we can end homelessness in our community. And so as we have those opportunities, whether we're, you know, building something in Portage or across the county, um, you know, come out to those meetings and, and support what we're doing and say, hey, we, we, we think this is needed in our community. We support this. Um, or even just talking to your friends and neighbors or, or other people in your congregation about like, hey, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stigma around housing and affordable housing in particular. Right. So if you're part of those conversations, you can say, hey, well, why don't you go to house? I know people at House Opportunities or I can connect to you. Like, go there and see what they do. Do a tour. Go talk to Lisa. Uh, we do bus tours. We're restarting those soon. So we'll take you out and actually see some of the, our physical housing. Uh, and very soon we'll have our projects on our website. So you can actually see kind of pictures of what they look like, which I think is really helpful to illustrate the type of work we do and the quality we do. Um, but that's, you know, I think being able to connect uh, the work we do to people directly, I think is so important because if, if not, you're just talking about what we see, you know, in the news where usually it's about California, right? Where housing is crazy expensive and there's hordes of homeless people everywhere. And that's not what we face here. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we need more affordable housing and we can do it the right way. And you can talk to people about, Hey, I know this organization, they do a great job doing it. Um, and so let's get educated and, and get you connected to them if you want to know more about it. Right. Because immediately when you hear the words affordable housing, a lot of people immediately think like slums or yeah. they think, well, now my property values are gone. Sure. But it's just the reality that we we live in a planet. We live in a world where everybody should be able to have an affordable place to live and we can do it and we can do it responsibly and we don't yeah. have to have it where things get trashed mm-hmm. or when thing, or things get ruined. We can sustainably do this. Yeah. And I, I think the best example I have is we 
and this is like it happened organically. So kudos to to this person. Um, when we were gonna getting like the permitting in place and stuff to build um, the new the new construction site at Evergreen that we're currently doing, uh, we had one person show up to the public meeting to say like, oh, we, this is gonna look you know this is gonna be poor quality and stuff, and you know essentially we don't want these people here and stuff too, and um. It, which was fine. Like it was one person compared to, you know, usually there's a lot more. Um, and then we had a lady who who lives just down the street um, from the project. So the other person, he lived in another city and he was complaining about it. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. And, and uh, so we had a lady who lives like four houses down from from the construction site. And she said, no, I'm really excited about this. Like, um, we want to be a part of it. We, you know, they're going to have kids there that go to school with my kids. Like, I, we want to see more of this. And so she was super supportive of it. I, we didn't know her and like we didn't ask her to come. She just showed up and said, I got this letter from this guy saying we shouldn't have this here. And I, I disagree with it. So I wanted to show up and do it. So, wow. Yeah. Which was super powerful. So somebody outside of the community was kind of like stirring the pot essentially. Yeah. I think he uh, owned some other rental there and like just didn't like it or something like that. It wasn't oh, very okay. clear what his actual problem was. And, um, but yeah, he, he lived in Malpo. Um, and so it wasn't, he wasn't directly affecting him. Um, right. And so, yeah, but she, you know, she had a great counter to it and said, you know, no, I, I think this is great. And, you know, people need affordable housing to live in and, you know, we're happy to have it next door to us. Nice. So how do you, so <laughs> I remember this being brought up in one of the board meetings, so I'll bring it up. Um, cause I thought it was really funny. Um, how do you come up with the names of all these properties? Because oh, it gosh. seems like whenever you have like, and then you, I get it. Cause I mean, there's gated communities, there's subdivisions and they all have these like really flowery, like really attractive names. Like you want to live in so-and-so commons or so-and-so estates and all of the housing opportunity properties have those names. Mm -hmm. And I remember kind of thinking about it when I first jumped in and I'm like, it's kind of weird that they have all these like really fancy names. So is that like a requirement or what, what, what's the deal with that? And then how do you come up with them? Yeah. You, you got to call it something for like the applications and stuff too, and all the stuff you do. And, and so it's like my least favorite thing to do. <laughs> I'm terrible. I think I'm terrible at it. So that's why. And so, so you're not the creative mind. Behind no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> and, and historically we've been really bad at it. So we, um, you know, we have a couple of projects that are, are permanent supportive housing projects and they're called perm four and perm five. Cause it was yeah. the fourth permanent project. <laughs> right. And so when you're talking about it, like, Oh, it's perm five. And people are like, what is that? And so we want to make sure we, you know, the names we have for stuff is, you know, is relevant to people and that it's inviting for people. And so, you know, we, we have a project called Aurora view in uh, Valpo uh, and we had uh, someone from Porter Stark actually came up with the name for it. Uh, and it was, I forget the exact meaning, but it was something, it was something about Aurora means like, um, a blessing or like a, a kind of like a rising of, of something like that. So it was like very encouraging to have that and, and kind of what it looked like. And, um, and so for prominence commons, which is our, our portage project, uh, you know, typically what I've resorted to doing is we, we put it out to our staff and to our board and, and stuff like that and say, Hey, if you have name suggestions, put them in and then you'll, you can win something if you, if you, if okay. we select your name. So, um, so I'm great at saying what I don't like, but I just can't come up with the actual things that I, you know, generate those thoughts. So Prominence Commons was uh, Debbie Cardos, our, one of our property managers. She came up with it because uh, she was thinking about, you know, how to relate it to where we live. And so thinking about dunes. And so she's looking up, you know, kind of uh, words associated with dunes. And one is that there uh, is a prominence. So they come out of the ground and kind of stick up and are a landmark for that. And yeah. so, you know, that housing kind of being a landmark for affordable housing and it's very prominent in the community. It sticks out and in a good way. 
uh, and being able to do that. So um, very cool. Yeah. So she she gets kudos for that because. I never would have. Yeah. <laughs> so there is sure. some intent. It's not just like a Mad Lib where it's just like, all right, think of a random noun and then generate right. it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. You can do that, but we we try and stay relevant to the work we do or, or the places we're at. Yeah. And I mean, it, in a way, it's kind of dignifying too, because it's, I mean, you're trying to name it well, you're trying to make it look presentable, and then you're trying to make it be somebody's long-term home. So yeah. why not give a little bit of intentionality For even sure. if it's not your strong suit? So I um, looked up... Um, to see if there were any Bible verses about taking care of the poor, taking care of those less fortunate. And I know you know this, and I know I know this. Uh, there's not a shortage of verses. <laughs> there is. It took me about five seconds to fill a whole entire Word document. Um, there is a biblical mandate for us to take care of those that are less fortunate than us, and also to live equitably and to seek justice and to love mercy. Um, this is a huge part of that. So <clears throat> I guess... What ways, in your opinion, can the church love and serve those who are less fortunate than us, those who are at risk or experiencing homelessness? So not necessarily only what we can do to love them, but maybe what should we think about not doing to love them? Or how how can we as Christians model what it looks like to live equitably and to seek the well-being of those who are less fortunate than us, in your opinion? Yeah, I think... You know, one of the things I love about your congregation and in real life church is that, you know, you, you're very hands on in the work you do and, and kind of living that mission. And I think, you know, the more you you keep doing that thing, so you definitely uh, support us financially, which is very much appreciated and, and a, a huge uh huge importance to the, us continuing the work we do, but even more important is connecting with the people we work with and, and the, and the housing we provide and stuff too. So being hands-on in what you're doing, you know, joining our board, I think is, is a big step in that direction too of like, Hey, you know, I, I believe in what they're doing. I want to be more connected and help, you know, help us do it as a community better. I think that's a, a great way to, you know, kind of be tangible to what, to what you're, you believe is the right thing to do as a, a congregation and community. Uh, and the same thing in, in terms of when you're talking about those things. And and again, as we talked about for advocacy, just not letting people say like, oh, we don't want that in our community because we don't need it. And, and but right. being intentional and say, well, you know, let's have a conversation about that. Like, let's let's talk about what the need really looks like. And you know, I can take you to this place or connect you to them and, and talk more about it. And I think it's really easy to avoid those t- conversations because they can be tough. And yeah, everyone's very opinionated these days, but you can do it. Well, in the right there's, way. there's margins that exist intentionally just to kind of keep things out of your vision, uh-huh. like out of your train of sight. So you don't really even unless you're trying to learn more about it, kind of the way the world spins, you don't have to look sure. for it. Yeah, until it affects you or someone close by, and then right. they can kind of ignore it. But being intentional about that, I think, is is really important, and um, and doing that. And again, that's why I, I love the what you bring to the community so much because you you do those things on a daily basis, um, not just for us, but for other people and for the community at large. Um, so keep doing those things, and and you know keep coming to us with like, hey, we you know this we want to do these things. How can we help you out? Um, because I think it's tough for us to, you know, ask other people to help out because, you know, we're typically the people to help other people. Right. And so it can be harder for us to say like, you know, Hey, we, we can't do this on our own. We need, you know, your support. Right. Um, so being there and offering that and, and you all have been a long-term supporter of ours. So we appreciate that. Um, and then I think, I think coming, coming and seeing the work we do. So coming in, doing a tour, uh, hopefully doing a bus tour here and then over the next year or so and, and seeing it and, and having your eyes on. And I think once you see what we do, it really shapes, you know, kind of gives you that true picture of what it looks like and, and yeah. the people that we serve. Um, 
so you get to meet some residents and do that um, from time to time. And again, you know, you give the example of that couple, like they're just people. Right. Uh, and they're, right. you know, they go to our schools and eat at the same restaurants we do. Um, so again, being very intentional about, you know, knowing that and believing that. How would we, how would the average person find out that you are trying to purchase housing or you're trying to have some kind of a hearing? Like, cause you'd mentioned something about, mm-hmm showing up and being like, Hey, here's this piece of paper. I want them here. They need to be here. How would, how does one find out about those things that are happening in their cities? Yeah. So we, tr- we try and uh, put that out there when we need support. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll post something about public meetings and stuff like that. If, if we need okay. community support or, or want that, it's kind of a fine line because sometimes we don't want to bring negative attention to. Right. Um, but we'll, we'll put some stuff on our social media. So follow us on Facebook is our, our best way to do it. Um, and then generally there's like always some news article or something about it that says, Hey, there, you know, this group wants to build new housing and, and there's a public meeting coming about it where you can say your piece. Um, but you know, I think it's definitely on us to ask for that support. And so, you know, if we, if we know in particular that we are, are building in a community or doing something in a community, then, then we need to reach out to you people like, like a real life to say like, Hey, you know, we're doing this and we know you believe in our mission. Will you come out and support us and, and, yeah. and say that piece too. So. And a lot of it's probably just interpersonal relationships, like mm-hmm. you said, like just not not being so gut reaction when it comes to the idea of affordable housing or when or the idea of even helping out homelessness and mm-hmm. things like that. Just there's a lot of things that'll get you to react emotionally and with anger and with frustration or even fear. But usually if you take the time to to learn and absorb and see people as people be surprised at how your perspective changes so yeah absolutely awesome well jordan i appreciate this i appreciate you sitting in and talking i know i just threw a bunch of random questions at you (laughs) um but we do really appreciate what you guys are doing we're excited about lisa coming out and speaking on a sunday and we hope that we can continue to build this partnership and hopefully some folks listen to this and maybe they they press the pause button and see how they can help whether it be financial or whether it be volunteering or even just advocating for affordable housing for everybody. So thanks for everything that you do. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will talk to you next time. The Real Life Roundtable is a production of Real Life Community Church in Portage, Indiana. For more information, follow us at RLCC Life on Facebook or visit reallifecc.org.